Section 57 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 17. Recommendations for National Action. Part 8. 4. Housing. Introduction. The passage of the National Housing Act in 1934 signaled a new federal commitment to provide housing for the nation's citizens. Congress made the commitment explicit 15 years later in the Housing Act of 1949, establishing as a national goal the realization of a decent home and suitable environment for every American family. Today, after more than three decades of fragmented and grossly underfunded federal housing programs, decent housing remains a chronic problem for the disadvantaged urban household. Fifty-six percent of the country's non-white families live in central cities today, and of these, nearly two-thirds live in neighborhoods marked by substandard housing and general urban blight. For these citizens, condemned by segregation and poverty to live in the decaying slums of our central cities, the goal of a decent home and suitable environment is as far distant as ever. During the decade of the 1950s, when vast numbers of Negroes were migrating to the cities, only 4 million of the 16.8 million new housing units constructed throughout the nation were built in the central cities. These additions were counterbalanced by the loss of 1.5 million central city units through demolition and other means. The result was that the number of non-whites living in substandard housing increased from 1.4 to 1.8 million, even though the number of substandard units declined. Statistics available for the period since 1960 indicate that the trend is continuing, there has been virtually no decline in the number of occupied, dilapidated units in metropolitan areas, and surveys in New York City and Watts actually show an increase in the number of such units. These statistics have led the Department of Housing and Urban Development to conclude that while the trend in the country as a whole is toward less substandard housing, there are individual neighborhoods and areas within many cities where the housing situation continues to deteriorate. Inadequate housing is not limited to Negroes. Even in the central cities, the problem affects two and a half times as many white as non-white households. Nationally, over four million of the nearly six million occupied substandard units in 1966 were occupied by whites. It is also true that Negro housing in large cities is significantly better than that in most rural areas, especially in the South. Good quality housing has become available to Negro city dwellers at an increasing rate since the mid-1950s, when the post-war housing shortage ended in most metropolitan areas. Nevertheless, in the Negro ghetto, grossly inadequate housing continues to be a critical problem. Substandard, old, and overcrowded structures. Nationwide, 25% of all non-whites living in central cities occupied substandard units in 1960, 
compared to 8% of all whites. Preliminary Census Bureau data indicate that by 1966 the figures had dropped to 16 and 5% respectively. However, if deteriorating units and units with serious housing code violations were added, the percentage of non-whites living in inadequate housing in 1966 becomes much greater. In 14 of the largest U.S. cities, the proportions of all non-white housing units classified as deteriorating, dilapidated, or lacking full plumbing in 1960, the latest date for which figures were available, were as follows. New York Percentage of non-white occupied housing units classified as deteriorating or dilapidated, 1960, 33.8%. Percentage of non-white occupied housing units classified as deteriorating, dilapidated, or sound but without full plumbing, 1960, 42.4%. Chicago, 32.1% deteriorating or dilapidated, 42.8% deteriorating, dilapidated, or sound but without full plumbing. Los Angeles, 14.7% deteriorating or dilapidated, 18.1% deteriorating, dilapidated, or sound but without full plumbing. Philadelphia, 28.6% deteriorating or dilapidated, 32.0% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Detroit, 27.9% deteriorating or dilapidated, 30.1% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Baltimore, 30.5% deteriorating or dilapidated. 31.7% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Houston, 30.1% deteriorating or dilapidated. 36.7% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Cleveland, 29.9% deteriorating or dilapidated, 33.9% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Washington, D.C., 15.2% deteriorating or dilapidated, 20.8% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. St. Louis, 40.3% deteriorating or dilapidated, 51.6% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. San Francisco, 21.3% deteriorating or dilapidated, 34.0% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Dallas, 41.3% deteriorating or dilapidated, 45.9% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. New Orleans, 44.3% deteriorating or dilapidated, 56.9% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Pittsburgh, 49.1% deteriorating or dilapidated, 58.9% deteriorating, dilapidated, or without full plumbing. Conditions were far worse than these citywide averages in many specific disadvantaged neighborhoods. For example, a study of housing in Newark, New Jersey, before the 1967 disorders, 
showed the following situation in certain predominantly negro neighborhoods as of 1960. Percentage of housing units dilapidated or deteriorated in selected areas of Newark, 1960. Area number one, population 25,300, 75.5% non-white, 91% of all housing units dilapidated or deteriorating. Area number two, population 48,200, 64.5% non-white, 63.8% of all housing units dilapidated or deteriorating. Area number 3A, population 48,300, 74.8% non-white, 43.1% of all housing units dilapidated or deteriorating. These three areas contained 30% of the total population of Newark in 1960, and 62% of its non-white population. The Commission carried out special analyses of 1960 housing conditions in three cities, concentrating on all census tracts with 1960 median incomes of under $3,000 for both families and individuals. It also analyzed housing conditions in Watts. The results showed that the vast majority of people living in the poorest areas of these cities were Negroes, and that a high proportion lived in inadequate housing. Detroit. Total population of the study area, 162,375. 67.5% non-white. 32.7% of housing units substandard by HUD definition, 53.1% dilapidated, deteriorating, or sound but lacking full plumbing. Washington, D.C., total population of study area, 97,084, 74.5% non-white, 23.9% of housing units substandard by HUD definition, 37.3% dilapidated, deteriorating, or sound but lacking full plumbing. Memphis, total population of study area, 150,827, 74% non-white, 35% of housing units substandard by HUD definition, 46.5% dilapidated, deteriorating, or sound but lacking full plumbing. Watts area of Los Angeles, total population of study area, 49,074, 87.3% non-white, 10.5% of housing units substandard by HUD definition, 29.1% dilapidated, deteriorating, or sound but lacking full plumbing. Negroes, on average, also occupy much older housing than whites. In each of the ten metropolitan areas analyzed by the Commission, Substantially higher percentages of non-whites than whites occupied units built prior to 1939. Percentage of white and non-white occupied housing units built prior to 1939 in selected metropolitan areas. Cleveland. 33.2% white-occupied units, 90.6% non-white-occupied units. Dallas. 31.9% white-occupied, 52.7% non-white-occupied. Detroit, 
46.2% white occupied, 86.1% non white occupied. Kansas City, 54.4% white occupied, 89.9% non white occupied. Los Angeles, Long Beach, 36.6% white occupied, 62.4% non white occupied. New Orleans, 52.9% white occupied, 62.2% non white occupied. Philadelphia, 62% white occupied, 90.8% non white occupied. St. Louis, 57.9% white occupied, 84.7% non white occupied. San Francisco, Oakland, 51.3% white occupied, 67.6% non white occupied. Washington, D.C., 31.9% white occupied, 64.9% non white occupied. Finally, Negro housing units are far more likely to be overcrowded than those occupied by whites. In U.S. metropolitan areas in 1960, 25% of all non-white units were overcrowded by the standard measure, that is, they contained 1.01 or more persons per room. Only 8% of all white-occupied units were in this category. Moreover, 11% of all non-white-occupied units were seriously overcrowded, 1.51 or more persons per room, compared with 2% for white-occupied units. The figures were as follows in the 10 metropolitan areas analyzed by the Commission. Percentage of white and non-white-occupied units with 1.01 or more persons per room in selected metropolitan areas. Cleveland, 6.9% of white-occupied units, 19.3% of non-white-occupied units. Dallas, 9.3% of white-occupied units, 28.8% of non-white-occupied units. Detroit, 8.6% of white-occupied units, 17.5% of non-white-occupied units. Kansas City, 8.7% of white-occupied units, 18% of non-white-occupied units. Los Angeles, Long Beach, 8% of white-occupied units, 17.4% of non-white-occupied units. New Orleans, 12% of white-occupied units, 36.1% of non-white-occupied units. Philadelphia, 4.9% of white-occupied units, 16.3% of non-white-occupied units. St. Louis, 11.8% of white-occupied units, 28% of non-white-occupied units. San Francisco, Oakland, 6% of white-occupied units, 19.7% of non-white-occupied units. Washington, D.C., 6.2% of white-occupied units, 22.6% of non-white-occupied units. Higher Rents for Poorer Housing Negroes in large cities are often forced to pay the same rents as whites and receive less for their money, or pay higher rents for the same accommodations. The first type of discriminatory effect, paying the same amount but receiving less, 
is illustrated by data from the 1960 census for Chicago and Detroit. In certain Chicago census tracts, both whites and non-whites paid median rents of $88, and the proportions paying various specific rents below that median were almost identical, but the units rented by non-whites were typically smaller, the median number of rooms was 3.35 for non-whites versus 3.95 for whites. In worse condition, 30.7% of all non-white units were deteriorated or dilapidated units versus 11.6% for whites. Occupied by more people, the median household size was 3.53 for non-whites versus 2.88 for whites and more likely to be overcrowded. 27.4% of non-white units had 1.01 or more persons per room, versus 7.9% for whites. In Detroit, whites paid a median rental of $77, as compared to $76 among non-whites. Yet 27% of non-white units were deteriorating or dilapidated, as compared to only 10.3% of all white units. The second type of discriminatory effect, paying more for similar housing, is illustrated by data from a study of housing conditions in disadvantaged neighborhoods in Newark, New Jersey. In four areas of that city, including the three areas cited previously, non-whites with housing essentially similar to that of whites paid rents that were from 8.1% to 16.8% higher. Though the typically larger size of non-white households, with consequent harder wear and tear, may partly justify the differences in rental, the study found that non-whites were paying a definite color tax of apparently well over 10% on housing. This condition prevails in most racial ghettos, the combination of high rents and low incomes forces many Negroes to pay an excessively high proportion of their income for housing. This is shown by the following chart, showing the percentage of renter households paying over 35% of their income for rent in 10 metropolitan areas. Percentages of white and non-white occupied units with households paying 35% or more of their income for rent in selected metropolitan areas. Cleveland, 8.6% of white-occupied units, 33.8% of non-white-occupied units. Dallas, 19.2% of white-occupied units, 33.8% of non-white-occupied units. Detroit, 21.2% of white-occupied units, 40.5% of non-white-occupied units. Kansas City, 20.2% of white-occupied units, 40.0% of non-white-occupied units. Los Angeles, Long Beach, 23.4% of white-occupied units, 28.4% of non-white-occupied units. New Orleans, 16.6% of white-occupied units, 30.5% of non-white-occupied units. Philadelphia, 19.3% of white-occupied units, 32.1% of non-white-occupied units. St. Louis, 18.5% of white-occupied units, 
36.7% of non-white occupied units. San Francisco, Oakland, 21.2% of white occupied units, 25.1% of non-white occupied units. Washington, D.C., 18.5% of white occupied units, 28.3% of non-white occupied units. The high proportion of income that must go for rent leaves less money in such households for other expenses. Undoubtedly, this hardship is a major reason many Negro households regard housing as one of their worst problems. Discrimination in Housing Code Enforcement Thousands of landlords in disadvantaged neighborhoods openly violate building codes with impunity, thereby providing a constant demonstration of flagrant discrimination by legal authorities. A high proportion of residential and other structures contain numerous violations of building and housing codes. Refusal to remedy these violations is a criminal offense, one which can have serious effects upon the victims living in these structures. Yet in most cities, few building code violations in these areas are ever corrected, even when tenants complain directly to municipal building departments. There are economic reasons why these codes are not rigorously enforced. Bringing many old structures up to code standards and maintaining them at that level often would require owners to raise rents far above the ability of local residents to pay. In New York City, rigorous code enforcement has already caused owners to board up and abandon over 2,500 buildings rather than incur the expense of repairing them. Nevertheless, open violation of codes is a constant source of distress to low-income tenants and creates serious hazards to health and safety in disadvantaged neighborhoods. Housing Conditions and Disorder Housing conditions in the disorder cities surveyed by the Commission paralleled those for ghetto Negroes generally. Many homes were physically inadequate. Forty-seven percent of the units occupied by non-whites in the disturbance areas were substandard. Overcrowding was common. In the metropolitan areas in which the disorders occurred, twenty-four percent of all units occupied by non-whites were overcrowded, against only 8.8% of the white-occupied units. Negroes paid higher percentages of their income for rent than whites. In both the disturbance areas and the greater metropolitan area of which they were a part, the median rent as a proportion of median income was over 25% higher for non-whites than for whites. The result has been widespread discontent with housing conditions and costs. In nearly every disorder city surveyed, grievances related to housing were important factors in the structure of Negro discontent. Poverty and Housing Deterioration The reasons many Negroes live in decaying slums are not difficult to discover. First and foremost is poverty. Most ghetto residents cannot pay the rent necessary to support decent housing. This prevents private builders from constructing new units in the ghettos or from rehabilitating old ones, for either action involves an investment that would require substantially higher rents than most ghetto dwellers can pay. It also deters landlords from maintaining units that are presently structurally sound. Maintenance, too, requires additional investment, 
and at the minimal rents that inner-city negroes can pay landlords have little incentive to provide it the implications of widespread poor maintenance are serious most of the gains in negro housing have occurred through the turnover which occurs as part of the filtering down process as the white middle class moves out the units it leaves are occupied by negroes many of these units are very old without proper maintenance they soon become dilapidated so that the improvement in housing resulting from the filtering down process is only temporary the nineteen sixty five new york city survey points up the danger during the period that the number of substandard units was decreasing the number of deteriorating units increased by ninety five thousand discrimination the second major factor condemning vast numbers of negroes to urban slums is racial discrimination in the housing market discrimination prevents access to many non-slum areas particularly the suburbs and has a detrimental effect on ghetto housing itself by restricting the area open to a growing population housing discrimination makes it profitable for landlords to break up ghetto apartments for denser occupancy hastening housing deterioration further by creating a back pressure in the racial ghettos discrimination keeps prices and rents of older more deteriorated housing in the ghetto market higher than they would be in a truly free and open market end of section 57 recording by maria casper